Scripture reading for this morning is Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child, now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you, about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we are continuing in our series looking at the life of Abraham in Genesis 12 through 25. And uh, last, last week, when we looked at Genesis chapter 17, uh, we were reminded that it had been 25 years since Abraham was first told that he would have a son. 25 years in which Sarah was reminded that she was barren. And not just 25 years for Sarah, their entire marriage. Sarah had the constant reminder that she was unable to conceive a child. And in Genesis chapter 17, again, we saw last week that God got very specific with Abraham. He said to Abraham, it will be through Sarah, your wife, that you will bear a son. And then we come to Genesis chapter 18 this morning, and we don't know how much time has passed between Genesis 17 and Genesis 18. It's very reasonable to believe that it wasn't long, because we'll see later that Sarah hadn't you know, aged much at all. She was still 90, late 90s, maybe 91 by the time she actually gave birth to Isaac. We'll read about that when we get to Genesis chapter 21. So not much time has passed. It's, it's not like the, you know, the 13 years that had passed from Genesis chapter 16 to Genesis chapter 17 between the incident with Hagar and God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, so some shorter amount of time has transpired here between Genesis 17 and 18. The thing we do know is that in even that brief amount of time, Sarah's heart was still greatly discouraged. In fact, I think it's safe to say that she had lost heart. 
We know that from her laughter in this passage. This is not the laughter of joy that she will express in Genesis chapter 21. This is a laughter that has more to do with cynicism, with, with unbelief, with despair. We, we know that from the way in which the Lord rebukes her in this passage. We know it also from the way in which she you know, kind of tries to cover that up by lying about it to the Lord. This is not laughter that springs from joyful anticipation. This is laughter that is still rising from a heart that is deeply discouraged. The text tells us that these three strangers appeared to Abraham in the heat of the day. So it was like the time, um, it was like a siesta, right? I mean, the morning work was done. They were all just kind of relaxing in the afternoon. Life had gotten quiet. Things had finally slowed down. So there's Sarah in the tent, and there's Abraham at the entrance to the tent. Things are quiet. And maybe it's in the quiet moments like that for them that these thoughts began to come back. Maybe it was when Sarah was resting from the work that she was doing so hard all throughout the day. Maybe it was during that time that she was having these thoughts rush back to her mind. And maybe that happens for you. You know, maybe when things finally slow down, when the work is done for the day, when you're done self-medicating with social media and your favorite streaming service or whatever it is that you may be doing, when things finally get quiet externally, that's when the internal noise comes to the fore. That's when the restlessness of your heart can't be pushed down anymore. And it's in moments like that that we begin to wonder, where is God? Where is he? It's in the middle of the night when those thoughts, even holding at bay, rise up, right? That, the disappointment with the way your life is going, the despair because of dreams that have died, the anguish over expectations that remain unmet, the longed-for change in your life that remains stalled. And as a Christian, it is so hard in those moments to not lose heart, especially when the days turn to weeks and months and years of not seeing the longed-for change that you hope for. We're tempted to think in moments like that that God doesn't care. It's in moments like that that we ask, where is he? And what this text reminds us of is that it's in those moments that we may be most able, if our hearts are so inclined to the Lord, to recognize that he is, in fact, drawing near, that he's always there, ready to have fellowship with us and reconfirm his promises to us. That's what's happening in this passage. God is drawing near to Abraham and to Sarah in order to confirm his promises to them and have intimate fellowship with them. So there's two things we need to take to heart if we're going to understand this text and be able to deal with those moments when everything's quiet except our hearts and we wonder, where is God? Two things to take to heart. First, that the Lord loves to draw near to his people. 
The Lord loves to draw near to his people. And then second, that he loves to keep his word to his people. The Lord loves to draw near, and the Lord loves to keep his word. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we are thankful that by your spirit, you are with us. We don't have to reach up and try to find you. We don't have to get ourselves into a mental or emotional state in order for us to think that somehow you might hear us. You are by your spirit with us. You've given us your word to speak to us. Lord, we have your sacrament in which you draw near by your spirit to nourish us. Lord, you are with us. We pray that you would open up our eyes, that you would enable us to believe by faith, that you are present to your people to comfort us, and to confirm your promises to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So first, the Lord loves to draw near to his people. That's what's happening in verses one through eight. So let's take a look again. You know, if you've been tracking along, you know this, but when it says in verse one, and the Lord appeared to him, he's referring to Abraham. The Lord appeared to Abraham. Now, the writer of Genesis tells us that, but if you put yourself in Abraham's shoes, you realize that, Maybe he got that right from the outset. Maybe he didn't. Maybe this kind of dawned on him as the events were unfolding. So again, it's the heat of the day. Abraham's by the Oaks of Mamre, still living in tents. He would live his entire life in tents because he's looking for the city yet to come, the city with foundations. That's what the author of Hebrews tells us. So here's Abraham, tents of Mamre, near the oaks of Mamre. He's living there. It's been many years that he was there. It's the heat of the day, and he lifts up his eyes. The text tells us, was he sleeping? I don't know, you know, dozing off. All, all, all of a sudden, he realizes there's three people standing in front of me. And we don't know exactly whether he recognized right away that this was God or whether he just saw three people who are strangers that he should feel and did feel an obligation to show hospitality to. So for instance, when you look at verse three, when Abraham says, oh Lord, that actually could be translated my Lord as, as just kind of a term of respect to someone that Abraham is treating as someone in authority over him, kind of showing deference to. In fact, you notice in your, in your English text that the oh Lord there is not all caps. He's not recognizing that this is Yahweh. So it could be that he's saying Adonai, oh God, or he could be just saying you know, my Lord, as in someone who's in greater authority over me. We don't know. You can't tell there quite yet if that's what's happening. He does run to show hospitality to these, to these strangers. So, you know, older men in that culture didn't run. So he, he was definitely taking this responsibility very seriously. Then he stands nearby as a host and doesn't eat with them. So there are clues that maybe Abraham is realizing there's something unique about these visitors. Surely by the time we get to verses 9 and following, and surely by the time that Abraham hears the Lord say, why did Sarah just laugh to herself and say to herself these things, that Abraham realized, this is the Lord. And of course, the narrator's been telling us that all along. The identity of the visitors is clear. From verses 9 through 15, that one of these visitors is the Lord. And then from chapter 19 and following, that the two other visitors were angels. And so what we have here is what the Bible refers to as a theophany. It's a visible manifestation of the pre-incarnate Lord. This happens in other places through Scripture, but there's something that makes this encounter especially remarkable. 
and it's this. This is the only time before the incarnation of Jesus Christ that God shares a meal with someone. It's remarkable. There are two places in Genesis where Gideon, I'm sorry, in uh, Judges, where Gideon sees the angel of the Lord, and then Mr. and Mrs. Manoah see the angel of the Lord, and they offer to the Lord a, a meal, prepare a meal, and offer it to him. But in those two interests, in, instances, the meal is received as an offering. Only here with Abraham is this meal something in which the Lord sits down and enjoys with Abraham. Such an intimate expression of fellowship. And it happens here. With Abraham, what do we learn about God? And what do we learn about Abraham? What we're seeing when it comes to who God is is what the rest of the scriptures will testify to. That this is a God who loves to draw near to his people. Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. This is a God who loves to draw near. He slowed down with Abraham. Go ahead, make me a meal. And he ate. The scriptures also tell us that Abraham was referred to as God's friend. God's friend. In fact, God, through the prophet Isaiah, refers to Abraham as his friend. Isaiah 41, verse 8. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. God says. The author of 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? James chapter 2, verse 23, Abraham was called a friend of God. Think about what it means to have God as a friend. Think about what it means to have a friend, Right? A friend is someone who knows your heart. A friend is someone who believes the best about you and challenges the worst in you. A friend is someone who sticks closer than a brother. Imagine having God as a friend. Well, of course, Jesus tells us this isn't just for Abraham. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than that someone laid down his life for his friends. John chapter 15, verse 13 through 15. And Jesus says, and you are my friends. If you do what I command you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. And he with me. That same kind of intimate fellowship that Abraham enjoyed with God by the oaks of Mamre outside his tent. Jesus comes and says, I want to enjoy that kind of fellowship with you by my spirit. We're offered friendship with the living God and intimate fellowship with him. How does that happen today? Jesus has given us his spirit. 
to dwell within us. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within you, testifying to your spirit that you are a child of God, interceding for you and with the words that you don't know how to pray. The Spirit of God is always interceding for you. In other words, Christ's Spirit dwelling in you knows you better than you know yourself and always is willing and ready to reveal to you the truth of your adoption in Christ into the family of God. His word is the truth that the Holy Spirit leads us into, this word that is living and active, that is meant to reveal to us what it means for God to be with his people. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate in a little bit, is a time in which the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, draws near to us that we might be spiritually nourished as we feed on him in faith. When does this happen? When is it not available to us to happen? The only question is whether or not we will believe that Jesus does what he says for his friends that he is standing at the door of your heart even now, knocking and asking for you to let him in through these means that he has given us to enjoy his presence. Will you open the door of your heart and let him in? If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, will you put your trust in Jesus for your salvation? Will you finally acknowledge that the one who is knocking on the door of your heart is the one who will give you that which no one else can give you, eternal life and present joy. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, have you, because of the days and months and years of disappointment and and waiting and longing and prayers not answered, have you closed the door to the one who desires more than anything else to have you? The Lord loves to draw near to his people, and he calls his people his friends. But secondly, let's look at Sarah. The Lord loves to keep his word to his people. Or we could say the Lord loves to keep his word to his friends. That's what's happening here in verses 9 through 13. Let's take a look. Verses 9 through 13, they said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, other than the fact that the Lord is specifying it's going to be this time next year, is there anything else new being said to Abraham here? And the answer is no. He's already been told that Sarah was going to have a son. So who is the Lord ultimately coming to reassure here? Sarah. The Lord knows that she's listening in the tent. The Lord knows where she is. The Lord, the, um, you know, the all-knowing one, the omniscient one, knows what her reaction is going to be. The Lord is coming, yes, to enjoy fellowship with his friend Abraham, but he's ultimately coming to reconfirm his promise to Sarah that she would know that he is a God who will keep his word to her. And her response, as we saw already, is, Laughter. Look at verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure 
Again, this was not the laughter of, of joyful delight that we see in chapter 21 with the birth of Isaac, whose name meant laughter. This is the laughter of, of despair, of cynicism, of unbelief. And it's not hard to imagine why. When we meet Sarah in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, we're told there that she is barren. We know that in that culture, to be a, a barren woman would be an incredibly painful stigma. Because your identity and your worth as a woman in that culture was seen in whether you were able or not to bear children. And so, of course, it's understandable that she would be hurting, despairing, one who has lost hearts. And then, you know, we saw that that unbelief led to even greater sin. The Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a son? And then we jump down, verse 15, Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. Isn't this what happens when we persist in unbelief, when we, when we refuse to trust that God will do what he said he, is, he would do? Don't we often just trip further and further into sin? What is so beautiful here? is that the Lord comes to her, confirms